Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I'm Pastor Michael Zarling. I am the author of the book with Pastor Peter Hagen, the editor of the book. Uh, we did not record an episode last week because Peter decided to go up north <laughs> to Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. Visit some family, and yeah. it was it was good. And we were talking about before we started recording that uh, Peter had said that they let him out. <laughs> and that reminded me, Years ago, I took my wife and four daughters, who are all soccer fans, up to Canada to go and watch several of the Women's World Cup games. And we had our van and our uh, pop-up camper behind us. And coming back, you know, so coming into the States, they stopped us. And we were there sitting there for, had to be a good three hours. And no all way. because all because they said we needed a license plate on our camper, not realizing, and I don't know, you probably could have just Googled this, I guess, that because we're from the state of Wisconsin, we don't need a license plate on our camper. But yeah, they were <laughs> they were holding us hostage in, in the great white north. Oh, oh yeah. Like the border, um, the border is its own land. Like crossing the border, I don't know, you know, I, I know a lot of people, if they don't travel out of the country, maybe Canada as far as they go. Um, but other than that, you can see a lot of places in the United States and do a lot of traveling and never go outside of the country. So if you don't have a whole lot of experience crossing the border, it's like it is its own land. Um, I am the utmost, uh, utmost respect. Um, got everything, got all my documentation right there. Um, if you do go to Canada or you're coming back from Canada, the two things to keep in mind the Canadians are concerned about taxes. So what are you bringing in that is taxable? And coming back, the Americans are concerned about terrorists. Um, so are you a terrorist? Are you bringing any other contraband or anything like that? Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was a good time. They, they let us out. Yeah. All right. And what we're going to begin with, since we took last week off, we're going to be a little bit longer on this one. And I'm going to read a whole bunch of the comments from YouTube. Uh, I haven't done that for a while. So starting with one from November on uh, chapter eight or resisting the dragon's beast episode eight, Luther's warning and a question of application. Deborah writes an aside, FYI, none dare call it treason by John Stormer. Buccaneer Books 1964 explains a lot of things which today puzzle us. How on earth have we found ourselves in this dizzying, topsy-turvy world? We understand the ultimate cause, but the this kingdom causes seem to elude most of us. One example, why are pupils studying social studies? What did traditional subjects go by the wayside? Answer can be found on pages 104 to 105 of Education Chapter under Textbook Revision. So thank you, Deborah, for that comment. And this one's from episode 10 of the Magdeburg Confession. Sam just writes, cool. <laughs> and uh, Deborah writes again. Uh, this was all the way back on September 3rd, but uh, she re watched it more, more recently. After listening to watching all the videos in the series up to the most recent, and this was from 10, 27, 23, she said, I have to say this episode gets to the nub of the primary issues which concern me. I'm going to listen again and take notes. Excellent work, gentlemen. Would that other pastors and the laity were blessed with ears open to hear your timely, relevant, and important contribution to answering the questions which too many are too timid to, quote, bother with. 
Ah, yes, the disease which runs rampant in our techn technological age, where eyes and ears are glued to the latest news or to the most recent horrific event. Thank you, and God bless your efforts to bring both comfort and guidance to a people habituated to fear porn. Wow, that's a good sentence right there. Habituated. Yeah, habituated about, to fear porn. Yeah, I don't know about answers. I just like um, asking questions and stirring the pot a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you, Deborah, on that one. Uh, Sam on episode 11, the beginning of resistance, just wrote, let's go with a fire emoji. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, and then Sam also wrote, writes on episode 13, say hi to Pastor Klusmeyer for me, please. So Sam, I will do that for you. <laughs> Especially, maybe I won't do that until he listens to this episode. And then I'll say, hey, Sam, Sam said hi. Did you hear it? Is, <laughs> but you have my, to start back at the one that you left off with. <laughs> yeah. Well, my own associate hasn't finished reading my book yet. So, wow. Uh, I know it's sad. Although my wife and children haven't read the book yet either. But then they. <laughs> has your mom her. read the book? No. No. <laughs> but my mom has. She's like legally blind. She can't really. Okay. Read it. And so she's waiting for your audio recording of the That's book. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, and I was thinking of recording the audio myself, and then it would be half the time of <laughs> listening because you wouldn't have, even have to put it up to one and a half speed or anything because of how fast I talk. That's true. Uh, Mark writes, Montgomery Boycott. This is from episode 13, Historical Examples of Resistance. Montgomery Boycott, the perfect realization of capitalism versus conviction. Resistance tied to providence is beautiful. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, and, and I guess together with that, um, the idea of capitalism, that that the Montgomery bus company was dependent on um, passengers in order to make profit. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, they caved on their principles um, in order that they would maintain a profit. And, and I think that is a very powerful motivator. And, um, and it's something that, you know, we, we overlook until you kind of look at some of the, the union um, battles of the last, you know, like 150 years across our across our nation. Yeah, one of the things that I talk about oftentimes is why do we give our money to people who hate us, right? You know, so, you know, if you know that there's companies out there and you can think of like Bud Light and they can try and use Peyton Manning and Emmett Smith in their latest commercials to try and uh, win back uh, conservative beer drinkers uh, they can try and they can spend a hundred million dollars on ufc and get dana white to say oh you know cool people drink bud light it's a it's a man's drink yeah or target with all of their trans and satanism uh sales that they have and whatever else just don't don't use your money there it's the same it's really just the same as the montgomery boycott yeah bud light just just drink water i mean that's totally fine it's yeah that's what i tell people when uh when they drink any of those light beers hey do you want me to get you a glass of water or should i get you a real beer <laughs> but but then they'll all, always say too because i like darker beers like stouts that well do you want uh do you want that in a glass or a, a loaf because yeah do you want some bread on your some exactly butter on your beer <laughs> Uh, I've got two more comments, and we'll get into the actual podcast. This is on episode 14, Hate Speech, Danish Farmers, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, this is from Deborah. 
Uh, wasn't it Dostoevsky who wrote that, quote, if there is no God, then all things are permissible, end quote. This mindset seems to be taking over, becoming the worldview of the progressive, enlightened 21st century man. It's no wonder then that these pagan attitudes and practices permeate our culture. You've probably read Dostoevsky, haven't you? I got into crime and punishment once, and I uh, I didn't get out of the first chapter. Um, <laughs> I, I got distracted reading something else, I think. Um, he's, he's on my list for 2025, I think. Um, but I guess the, the other question is, you know, on the one hand, Dostoevsky says, if there, if there is no God, then everything is permissible. But also that the Christian church is supposed to function as salt and light in this world. And if the most visible person of the largest Christian denomination in the world all of a sudden says that something is permissible, all right, or the church is going to bless it, um, then it looks like if there is a God, then everything still is permissible, as long as the guy with the funny hat says that it's, um, that it's permissible for the church to do. And it's still a question of Christian confession. You know, how yeah. do we how do we confess the truth? It's not that not that difficult. Yeah, and when you're bringing in that specific example, that's something I'll be talking about when we get into the chapter. And then the last one is from Sam. Uh, this is for you, Peter. Is ETA on the VDMA book? It sounds awesome. All right. Yeah the uh, the VDMA book. Um, the short short version of it, if you missed it in the previous episode, um, we're taking the pictures from the 1529 Catechism, putting it together with the words of our current catechism, um, and adding a, basically a large appendix of, um, of Bible passages, plus a methodology for um, at least my proposal for how our, our families and our churches and our schools um, ought to catechize their children. And um, and so it, the first run will be going to the printer next week. Um, I almost finished the major revision last night. Um, I've got a little bit more to do, um, but it should be going out in the mail about this time next week. And my hope, my hope is that um, NPH will take it up and um, and have it in print by about this time next year. So if you're interested, um, Sam then go to nph.net and uh, and call them and talk to Mark Buskey and say, I heard about this VDMA catechism, and I really want to see it from NPH. Yeah, and then while you're there, Sam and everyone else, you can bug, uh, you can, yeah, exactly, you can bug NPH to say, hey, how come we should, how come we're not selling Resisting the Dragon's Beast on our, on our Synod's website? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that'll probably get me more in more trouble than I'm already in. But that's okay, because we're going to talk about, in this chapter, Christian quietism. Perfect segue. Oh, I know. Uh, page 109. So I begin the chapter with this, because this is classic. In the opening of the classic Looney Tunes cartoon, Rabbit Fire, Elmer Fudd sees rabbit tracks. He looks at the audience and says, shh, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. As Christians, I think we've adopted a lifestyle of being very, very quiet. I call it the spirit of quietism. We quietly go about our lives hoping that people don't notice us too much. We also don't want to notice very much either. We like being left alone. We live a live and let live type of lifestyle. We allow the culture to go where it wants as long as it doesn't impact us too much. And it was interesting because I just feel that God gave me 
the words to write when I wrote this book over the course of a year. So sometimes I don't even remember what I wrote because it was a couple of years ago. And I think, and I know it sounds egotistical, but I think, man, some of this stuff is really good. And it's not to be braggadocious. It's just to say, I thank God for these words. And like, this is one sentence because, you know, we go quietly about our lives hoping people don't notice us. I think we all feel that, but I like the sentence that God gave me. We also don't want to notice much either. We don't mm -hmm. want to see what's going out, going on in the world. Uh, but Peter, you had told me something about this chapter about that you how much you liked it and so forth. Yeah, um, just that that idea that I can just do everything that that my Christian faith says that I should do. Um, and, and it dovetails with a couple of other ideas. The idea of a, you know, a personal, personal faith. This is my personal faith. And the way that ought to mean is that the resurrection of Jesus personally applies to me through holy baptism. Um, but too often we get into this idea that my personal faith is really just a buffet that I pick and choose and shape God into the, the kind of God that I want. And that is not part of our Christian confession, that the Christian faith is a communal faith that applies individually, but it is also part of our communal confession. And we don't really have the option to just sit back and say, well, I hope nobody notices me as long as I'm doing what I'm doing, that, that problem over there is that that's your circus and those are your monkeys and that isn't my problem. And, um, and as long as I just keep my head down and do my thing, then, then I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. So what you had said before when we were talking about this chapter was that how much you liked this chapter. And yeah. when I did, when I did Bible study this morning, one of the ladies said that this, she was, this was my favorite chapter. And, and I, I think, think it was one chapter that I had to edit very, very, very little on. Um, like you just must have been in a groove and it was like, wow, this is an easy one to edit because yeah. he hit all the points. And then when, when I thought, oh, but there's one more thing that we need to talk about, then Mike's like, oh, but here's the last little part. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And one of the ladies in Bible study said it was her favorite chapter. Uh, just because I think it speaks so much to where we are in the Christian church. So I ask from my study guide. And again, if any of you want the study guide for yourselves to do in a small group Bible study or for your pastor to lead when you get him the book, uh, just email me at resistingthedragonsbeast at gmail.com and then I'll send you the PDF of it. And the question is, and, and Peter, you can answer this first, how have you witnessed the Christian church become infected by Christian quietism? <laughs> I guess there are a few different ways. Um, you know, when we talk about the mo most prominent one that in Ephesians 5 talks about um, Christians submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in verse 21. Um, then we talk about, you know, going on about the relationship between husband and wife. Um, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we'll bend over backwards to, to really explain this in an evangelical way to say, this is what submission is, this is what it isn't. Um, but then when it gets to questions of it's going to be my butt on the line when the government is telling me this is what you ought to do or this is what you ought not to do, um, then it's just like, oh, I'll just hold this up and, um, and it just says submit and there's nothing to see here and submit therefore means whatever they say goes and whatever, whatever opinion I might have to the contrary and um, is, is irrelevant. And also, um, I'm going to totally ignore, put out of mind all of the uh, civics that I should have learned 
that the government has provided and protected the individual rights of the individual person and citizen, um, especially in the First Amendment, as we've talked about previously, um, to just unplug the mind and say quietism, you know, well, the government, it's, it's an emergency. You should just go along with it. We should just submit. Um, I think that's a, that's a big one. Um, there are other topics that, that often come up as like cultural topics or they're portrayed as political topics, you know, such as here in Ohio, a few months back, we had a vote on issue number one, which was whether or not, um, whether or not abortion should be and other, other gender uh, surgeries should be um, a constitutional right for people in Ohio. And, um, and so much of, you know, even in our own fellowship, we're like, yeah, don't put a sign up on your lawn because it might cut off, um, cut off discussions with a possible person that walks through your door. And it'd be so simple to say, well, you know, that's a political issue, that's a political issue, and we're not supposed to talk about politics in church. And so therefore, you know, we don't have to talk about this. Jesus loves me, that's all I know, and that's all I want to know. Yeah. yeah, and to build on that, you know, some other examples I thought of that are just in the news recently is uh, the Pope that, uh, you know, where he is saying that it's okay to bless same-sex unions and even getting rid of bishops that are opposing him. Uh, there's the recently a, a Satan statue that's showed up in Michigan. So this is now the second house. I think the other one was in now Iowa. Uh, there's the climate cult. I've been talking about this a few times in recent sermons. One of the last things the climate cult said was that one of the things that's happening is it's not just uh, gases and oils and all those things, but it's also human breath. And so, you know, people say, well, do you want us to stop breathing? Well, yeah, the climate cult really does want us, not them, but want us to stop breathing uh, because it's a population control. There's evolution that's been that way for uh, several decades, but we are not talking about these things and challenging these ideas. The, the, Difficulty is for pastors when they do confront these things to say, well, not just preach against the sin out there, but to understand and preach in such a way that our people are being infected and affected by these kinds of ideas. So we have to confront them. So with that, Peter, what happens when the Christian church remains quiet? Well, we, uh, I mean, there's the question of relevance. Um, because obviously, you know, as a Christian and as a Lutheran pastor, I believe that the Christian faith is relevant for people of every place and in time and nation and culture and everything. Um, but there is that question of, does the Christian church have anything to offer today? If all it is, is a spiritual insurance company, then Christianity is just, um, you know, the place where you, you might go for a spiritual pick me up, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is just relegated to this um, this minor transaction that will finally come to fruition at the end of my life. This transaction where he took away sin and then he gonna he's gonna give me heaven, and but I don't have to worry about it until then. There is no Christian guidance for life. Um, the authority of Scripture is tossed out. The certainty that we have, and the the, the guidance of God's law for the the lives of our children, in addition to um, the the vitality of the gospel like the gospel vitality that says you know we are a church that lives and breathes based on the word of god 
um, and that brings life and, and light to all that we have to offer. Um, the Christian church is just like dismissed, and then the world is left to muddle along in their own foolishness. Their, their natural wisdom is it's not very wise. <laughs> no, and with that, you're right. If the Christian church remains silent, that we're not injecting Christ and God's word into the culture, what's left? Then it's going to be the media, and the media is definitely not on our side, and, and the government, and oftentimes the government. The politicians are not on our side. It's going to be the Hollywood elite, the the athletes. Uh, it is our culture that's going to speak. And our culture and all the ones I mentioned, they're not morally neutral. That's mm-hmm. something we I think we forget. They're not morally neutral. And if they're not Christian, then they're going to be speaking according to their sinful nature. They have a worldview that's different than a Christian worldview. And if our people are only coming to church for one hour a week, and most of our people are not coming to church even that much, then Satan and our sinful and the sinful nature, they've got people say 16 hours a day, one hour out of that week is not going to be enough to sanctify their spirits. And so we have to inject Christ into the culture. And yet, Peter, Do you, and I think this comes to the crux of why you and I talk so much about this. Do you see in your experience pastors, and we'll say our own Lutheran pastors Mm -hmm. of our Lutheran church, do you see and hear our pastors preaching on these things? Are they talking about relevant cultural issues from the pulpit and in the Bible class? And if not, why not? (laughs) If so, why so? Oh, all right, all right. Uh, two part, three part question here. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, I I have sat in very few other pews uh, and heard because I'm usually answer. preaching. I know. <laughs> and and so it's, it's very few and far between when I have the privilege of listening to other pastors and um, you know aside from the ones that we put on onto our podcast and um, and so in that regard. Um, I, I can't say with absolute certainty because I don't have like all the all the stats on on all the listening hours. However, um, based on the interactions that I've I've had and discussions that I've had with with guys both um, in person and online and uh, everywhere in between, um, I think that a major problem is is that we try to understand culture by looking directly at the culture instead of by understanding the the things that move and shape a culture and um and my doorway into this um kind of dovetails with um your the very impressive reading list that you had posted at the end of 2023 i sent it to desiree my wife and um and she said that yeah so i i had read read slash listened to 45 books over the course of this last year and i've already read four this year but that's because they're children's books and i can get through them in two and a half hours but anyhow yeah yeah and if we try to just um look at the world around us and try to understand culture from current events or culture from whoever the spokespeople of those cultures are you know whether it's taylor swift or peter jennings or um saturday night live whoever you know whatever the kids are watching saturday night live anymore I have no idea. I don't watch okay. TV. Okay. 
That's because you, you homeschool. You don't have time to watch TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever the cool kids are watching, like Johnny Carson, you know, um, or Star Wars, whatever. <laughs> that if we try to understand culture by, by observing culture as we see it, um, we aren't going to get to the actual issue because all it'll do will entertain us and distract us. But that if we interact with some of these ideas on a, on a deeper level, from a culture that is not our own and we read some of those 44 books that Mike Zarling read, read this last year or like this month our book club here at Resurrection is looking at uh, 1984 hmm. and next month then next month we're looking at the foolishness of God by Sigbert Becker and then and then we're looking at Brave New World you know kind of alternate between you know something secular and something religious um, because you need to do that you need to step outside of your own culture so that you see your own culture for what it is that was kind of the interesting thing, like for Desiree, um, you know, obviously she grew up and lived in Canada. I, I lived in Canada as, you know, served as a vicar and then for a year and then a pastor for two more years in Canada and married to a Canadian. Um, she was like the cultural insider that gave me the insight to help parcel out the differences between American and Canadian culture. But then for both of us to come from outside of the culture, come back into it was like very eye opening. And, and I think, you know, this is, this is kind of getting around to answering your question. I have, um, I have serious concerns that enough of our pastors are getting far enough outside of their own culture to be able to speak directly to what the culture needs to hear. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about culture and, you know, stepping outside and realizing what's going on. Think of that. You know, I'm sure I've grown up this way, but then hearing you know, like different comedians from the area talk about op, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, I say that my family and all those around me when anything happens, op, you know, and anyone who's from the Midwest, you know, we say that. And Eminem says it in his uh, in his Eight Mile song. Okay, oh, there goes gravity. Yeah, uh, but he's a musician this... from Detroit. Detroit. Oh <laughs> yeah, ahead, I, yeah. By God's blessing, you made it through Detroit both ways. Oh. Uh, uh, also, what I would say with this, I don't know if you've heard this, Peter, but I have. When I've kind of challenged preachers on this topic, they'll say, well, I just preach Jesus or I just preach the Bible. And that sounds so good. It sounds so sanctified. And yet, when I pose that to our own members in Bible study, when we covered this a couple of weeks ago, they said, that also sounds kind of sanctimonious. That's a good point. Uh, it, it sounds, they said, self-righteous. You know, I'm a little bit better than you are because I preach Jesus. Well, when people have said that to me, Peter, I've told them, well, I preach Jesus too. But I then I'll, I'll challenge them. I preach all of Jesus because Jesus doesn't just say uh, your sins are forgiven. He says to the woman, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just uh, tell the Pharisees, for example, your sinners, he calls them a brood of vipers. And then I also, and what I mean by that is he's challenging them. He's challenging that culture, uh, the religious culture, but also their culture was so intertwined, the secular culture. And then, and and I think that's, that, that's the point that I was kind of driving at and I didn't really tie it up neatly is that if we only experience culture from the top down, like the the surface level of what we see in, in media and what we see in our personal experience, um, 
that and we try to import that into our preaching then and into our sermons then it just comes across as fake it's like me trying to use some gen z terminology you know the slang that all the teenagers are using these days i i can't i won't it doesn't i'm sorry i'll try to be relevant without without resorting to the slang that is a foreign language to me um but it's a different thing entirely when you have experience outside of your own culture whether it is going to a different country or whether it is reading a book from uh, from a different culture, a different time, you know, from 150 years ago, uh, reading a book from a different culture, and and then you can parse out from the bottom up, um, how is that culture different from mine, and then what is what what's the the overlap between what he's talking about in this book and what I see in the culture around me, and then it's a whole lot more authentic than just trying to sprinkle a little you know slang and terminology on top so that I look like I'm relevant. Um, Talking about yeah, sprinkling terminology, and I was helping my youngest daughter Bell over Christmas break fill out some uh, scholarship applications. They got all these weird ones out there, and it's just using creative writing. And I was doing it for her, and then I didn't get around to asking her. Uh, I was going to write uh, something about cool, and so I said, I don't know if kids say even use the word cool. So I looked it up in the slang terminology, and they told me to use the word dope. So I put the word dope in there, but I haven't asked her, said, do you kids actually say this or what word would you put here? <laughs> yeah, because you don't want a, a guy that's over 50 trying to, like you said, imitate what the, the yeah. kids, the dope kids are saying. And then I find myself on Urban Dictionary far, far more yeah. often than I uh, than I realized that I would need. <laughs> yeah. And one more thing on that. I remember a sermon several months ago, I used your term that you used in the book. And I had asked you what this meant about <laughs> doom scrolling. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I used that in my sermon. And afterwards, I had a young couple for adult confirmation class. And Dennis said, hey, pastor, there were three of us in the service that understood what doom scrolling was. So you can try and be relevant and then realize, uh, or I, I'll talk about ghosting. And even, you know, the teens don't use that word anymore. Uh, but anyhow, one last thing on this is I'll also challenge preachers and say, read any of the epistles, say of Paul. There is always an ending of those epistles where it's talking about sanctification. Yes, we preach Jesus, but you can't just preach Jesus with faith. Look at James. You have to have faith plus works, not for salvation, but faith with works. That is our sanctification. It's a our vocation as Christians. It's a to-do list. And that's really what the book is. And this mm -hmm. chapter, Christian Quietism, the to-do is not be quiet, speak up. So then with that, another question is, why is holding the line in the culture never going to be an offensive strategy? Why is holding the line not an offensive strategy? Because you hear that, we just got to hold the line. We oh, have yeah, to be, yeah. We have to conserve the culture. Or that we uh, we just have to, um, I mean, it, it's almost part and parcel with the hold the line idea of, you know, we just have to keep our church here and hold on until Jesus comes back. Um, <laughs> like there's no evangelism happening. Um, that the default of the world around us is that people are born into this world dead in sin and actively hostile toward God. And we can't, we don't have a, a word of God that is timid and passive. We have a word of God that is living and active. Um, and so holding the line is is always going to be a losing battle. It's like, um, 
Oh boy, like the movie Gettysburg or Gladiator. You know, I watched those on VHS back in the day. And uh, and and in Gladiator, he's like, hold, hold, wait, and then or Braveheart, same thing. And then and then they then they charge or they charge down Little Round Top in the Battle of Gettysburg. And um, and it was like, well, we can we can hold on, but we're only going to hold on for so long. Um, obviously, from a from a proper biblical perspective, the church will never fail. The church will never fall. There will be Christians on earth until until Christ returns. However, that is not a specific promise to your individual congregation or or your individual family even. Um, and so if we aren't using the word of God, then it's like that's the same as saying, you know, the word of God is just passive and, and it's a dead word and it's helpful for when I want it, when I need it, when I need to pick me up but the word of god is living and active and so therefore it has to and it it certainly does apply with with comfort uh for every person at every stage right and they're uh holding the line uh i don't know did you play football in high school i did i did not competently but well competently enough i guess <laughs> yeah I, yeah i didn't i didn't play football i watched a little bit i was a soccer player i'm built more for soccer than for football but i do understand enough and I've asked some some guys who did play football, you know, which is more fun if you're on the line, on the offensive line, is it pass blocking or run blocking? And, you know, they say, well, it's run blocking because pass blocking, you're just holding the line. You're just kind of holding guys up. Sometimes you're physically holding them, you know, inside the shoulder pads. I know that much. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the run blocking is better because you're actually pushing the defense back. That's the goal. And, and they're, you know, what happens when we just hold the line on those offensive linemen. I happened to watch some videos of Reggie White recently, and he used to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, and then he played for the Packers. And, you know, he had the hump move. Where and the he Panthers. Take... Did he play for the Panthers too? Oh, yeah, his club. Yeah, the club. For one year. It was a, he... it was a bad idea. Yeah, so he would <laughs> come underneath them with his right arm under the left arm of – uh, the offensive lineman and just throw them over. And these are 300 plus guys. He's just throwing around. And I happened to watch an interview with Chris Carter, who was a, 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 a hall of fame wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. And he said, uh, Carter said that he should get uh, credit for half of a sack from the offensive because somehow while he was running across the line, he had to block Reggie White and Reggie White, who had to outweigh Chris Carter by two to one, just took him <laughs> yeah. and threw him. I mean, he was looked like he's in the air. And then their their quarterback, I think it was Culpepper, trips over Carter. That's a half sack before Reggie White tackled him for a sack. Uh, but that's that's what happens when the devil can do that to us if we're just holding the line. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to be pushing back on on satan we need to be aggressive you know using biblical imagery we need to be light shining in the darkness we need to be aggressive going up against satan uh, but i think too often and that's again the point of the shepherd we're just sitting back like you said we're passive mm -hmm. uh, on bottom of page 113 top of page 114 i quote hebrews chapter 13 uh, that confessing Christ requires courage. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, 
By faith, they conquered kingdoms, carried out justice, obtained things that were promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edges of the sword, were made powerful after being weak, became mighty in battle, and caused foreign armies to flee. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others who were tortured did not accept their release, so that they may take part in a better resurrection. Still others experienced mocking and lashes in addition to chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sought in two, they were tempted, they were killed with a sword, they went around in sheepskins and goatskins, needy, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them as they wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So I asked <clears throat> ask the question, Peter, why does confessing Christ always require courage in every age? That's a good question. Uh, because in, in some ages, it it looks easier. And in some and sometimes we get the idea that, oh, if I were if I were living then, wouldn't it be glorious and glamorous to to stand up to the lions or to stand up to the king and to give my confession of faith um, where it always looks like there's something that is easier or more glorious or more beneficial. Um, whereas in every age, confessing Christ might be as simple, it usually is as simple as, um, as talking to a loved one, as speaking up to the person that you care about the most. It may be as simple as, um, as teaching your children the simple catechetical truths, um, VDMA catechism. Um, and that we shouldn't think that, number one, that a different time was easier. It was just different, but it wasn't easier. Um, but that also we use that idea that it was easier somewhere else or at some different time as an excuse to say, I, I don't have the same responsibility now. Um, it was easier back in the 50s or back in the 70s or back in the 90s. Um, and if I were there, then it would have been so much easier to run a church, uh, to, to do evangelism then. And all that is, is an underhanded way to say, I don't have the same responsibility now. I'm off the hook because I have it more challenging. It's, it's more difficult for me. And um, I'll do it when I get around to it, but I've got more pressing things because my situation is so, so much more complex and so much more difficult. Yeah. And it requires courage in any age. Our 21st century America is really not that much different than first century Rome was. Uh, it is just as licentious. Uh, it is just as sexual. It is just as much about homosexuality and, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to mention the next word I was going to mention about. Uh, when you it should comes read to um, sexual things. What's that? You should read. You should read Augustine's City of God. That's uh, okay. that's our audio book for this year. The unabridged version is forty six hours long. If you listen at normal pace. Okay, and I'm like, not... apparently like the first ten hours are all about Greek and Roman society. Um, yeah. Probably more detail than you or I ever wanted to know, but at the same time, you know, we don't have the uh, the privilege of being uninformed about these things, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, 46 hours, that's going to really hurt my my reading list time. Uh, yeah, like, it, we are, but the thing is, is we are no different than other ages past. Uh, we are now in what they would call the post-Christian age. I think part of it is because We've been riding the coattails of the height of Christianity in America in the last few decades, and now we're just decreasing and we become lukewarm in our faith. And I think Jesus has got a big loogie. He's ready to spit us out of his, out of his mouth. Uh, and so 
we need to be standing firm. And I've got some examples of that, that, you know, in that there was a, a Muslim boy in Nashville, uh, there, you know, they, the family, the Muslim family beat him because he decided to follow Christ. In, in Arizona, several months ago, there was a street preacher that was shot in the head. By God's grace, he is recovering. You know, these are examples of uh, things that are happening in our culture. Uh, I saw a video several months ago, or, or maybe, I guess it would be last month with Christmas, that a flash mob of a church choir showed up in a Walmart produce section, and they were singing actual Christmas carols, you know, Christ carols. And one of the ladies, a Walmart employee, was videotaping them and so forth. I don't know what happened to her, but the article I read said she could very well get fired because she supported that. Whereas if it was something that was satanic because it was Planned Parenthood and so forth, that's the stuff our culture celebrates. Uh, mm -hmm. And and and, it, and with it this, it comes to mind at least. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, one la last thing too is, as we read in Hebrews thirteen of these uh, Christian saints that have died for their faith. To think of it this way is people were not dying for Zeus. People today are not dying for the god of climate, uh, Mother Nature. People are willing to die for Christ, for Jesus Christ. Therefore, we know that this Christian faith is true. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I guess together with that, that this, um, this confession um, in, in modern-day culture may look less glamorous and um and more regular more disciplined and and less recognition um i was thinking um back to my vicar year and we were talking about catechism and how are we gonna you know catechize the children and and how do we want to adjust our catechism practice right now right here and um and one of the fathers was like well the uh the mormons they have their version of catechism five days a week, Monday through Friday at 5.30 a.m. Um, for an hour and a half before school. Mm. And, uh, and the Muslims, um, the Muslim families, um, they have prayer five times a day. They wake up before sunrise, after sunrise, noonday, before sundown, after sundown. And they are they're investing, like the fathers, instructing their children for three or four hours a week. Um, and, and I look at it, you know, by contrast, you know, what about the Christians? Well, our current practice is generally, you know, an hour and a half to, you know, a couple hours with pastor. And, uh, and hopefully we get some memorization in there. And hopefully you come to church on Sunday at least three times a month. Um, but, that, but that confession in culture, you know, you're, you're not going to change all of your community and all of your culture, but you can have an incredible impact on the people who are in your life but it's going to look less glamorous than you expected. There will be less recognition than you expected. Um, it'll be more regular than you maybe wanted and take more discipline than you, than you anticipated. Um, but the bottom line is that Jesus sees it and he wants to bless it. And I mean, what other recognition do you want other than your Lord and Savior saying, you know, well done, yeah. <laughs> good and faithful servant. Yeah, and the last question I have with this episode is, what makes God's word so offensive in our culture? And there I think of uh, several years ago, I had just a number of couples that had all gotten engaged and were getting married within the same year. And so I had all of them together for pre-marriage counseling. 
and one of these young couples, they were <clears throat> under 20 and they were saying how their coworkers were badgering them because they were not living together. You know, they, they said, you should be living together. You should be trying each other out before you get married. And that's the way of our culture right now is you need to live together. You need to try each other out. You need to have multiple partners over the course of time before you settle down with one partner. Uh, it's, it's offensive. You know, you just think of applying some of the commandments, you know, the fourth commandment. Our kids today, they do not know how to listen to authority. The fourth commandment, uh, there is no and little respect for life, whether it's abortion at one end or euthanasia at the other and all of the violence in our big cities in the middle of the sixth commandment, like I talked about with marriage and homosexuality and transgenderism. Uh, and then just the last, well, let's go to the eighth commandment on you know, the way we are just willing to pound on people anonymously on social media. And then you could take the last three commandments, uh, seventh, ninth, and 10th, when it comes to coveting and so forth, they don't care. In fact, our culture is often built on uh, capitalism, consumerism. Well, capitalism is better than uh, communism, I would say. But the whole idea of whether it's capitalism or communism, you don't get away from the sinful nature coveting what others have. All that to say is when we inject God's word into the culture and you're saying murder is wrong, you need to respect your, your leaders, uh, that you should be keeping the marriage bed pure until marriage and in marriage, don't covet, don't steal, uh, take other people's words and actions in the kindest possible way and speak well of them. That's totally contrary to our sinful nature, what the devil is pushing us and what our culture believes. Mm -hmm. Always. All right, anything else on that on my, after my tirade? <laughs> no, no, I think that was, a, that was, that was good. Um, yeah, and, and that the, the point of contact, you know, this actually this came, kind of came to mind, is that maybe, you know, in 1930s Germany, for instance, part of the reason why the Jewish people were persecuted and why they were outed for persecution so easily was because they were visibly and demonstrably different. And, um, and they just, you know, the Nazis obviously went ahead with othering them completely to make them different and, and bad, stigmatize them. Um, but that the world and their culture saw them as people who had a standard, people who kept a standard and who lived differently, even though it, it cost them or it took them extra effort. Um, and to what degree can the same be said of Christians today, where we have a visible display of, of our religion? You know, how many, how many Christians wear a cross or a crucifix? Um, I don't know. How many pastors wear a clerical collar? I don't because of the association with um, that's a different topic entirely. But, you know, if I wear a clerical collar, then mothers at the grocery store hide their children away because pastors, you know, that's a whole Roman Catholic thing. But there is something to um, having a visible display of your religion. To say this is my standard and this is what I believe and I'm willing to go so far as to you know have it on a shirt have it on a hat wear it as part of my life have it a tattoo, you know who knows who cares. But to be able to say 
that this Jesus is the one who guides me enough that I have a standard that you aren't going to be able to encroach upon. Yeah. Yeah. As uh, we just finished recording our thirsty podcast with my associate, Nathan Klusmeyer today, and we ended the podcast talking about, well, we were talking the whole episode about baptism and he quoted the hymn we'll sing on Sunday, uh, I am baptized into Christ. And he read the third verse, which is my favorite verse too. Basically it's saying, get behind me, Satan, I am baptized into Christ. But that's not just being on the offense of saying, don't bother me, Satan, because that's the way we often are. No, it's telling Satan to his face, get away from me. I'm going this way and you're not stopping me. And that's the, that's the kind of attitude we need to have. Uh, let's wrap it up here with one more email. So please keep your comments coming on YouTube because now I just read through all of them. And then also give uh, send your emails to me. Uh, so this is from Dave. Uh, he said, hello, Pastor Michael Zarling. Today, my wife, Barb, and I were watching a YouTube video by, Master, by Pastor Matt Truella of Mercy Seat Church. We heard Pastor Matt mention at the 17-minute, 10-second mark, a book by the Lutheran Church. Barb looked it up because she wants to read it. That's when we discovered it was by a Wells pastor. Then I decided to check out YouTube to see if you had anything published there. That's where I found the channel Resisting the Dragon's Beast. We watched the first two episodes. It was like a breath of fresh air to hear an open discussion about Romans 13. We enjoyed hearing Pastor Peter Hagen speak on the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land, not anyone sitting in the Oval Office or in Madison, Wisconsin. U.S. Constitution, Article 6, Clause 2. Please let Pastor Hagen know that we enjoyed his knowledge. I don't know, he didn't say anything about my knowledge, but he enjoys yours. Uh, the both of you work great together, greatest in capital letters. I then shared your YouTube channel with seven other people. I also ordered two hardcover books, uh, Dave and Barb. So thank you. Dave and Barb, and thanks That's for getting awesome. the word out. Yeah, yeah. So we encourage all of our <laughs> listeners on the YouTube channel, the the podcast, to get the word out, get the book out. Uh, I'm going to start posting some more things. I've kind of taken the last month off. God is just blessing me in our ministry here uh, at Water of Life, even though I was bored over Christmas break. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I told my wife, too, I said, I am purposely trying not to do a lot because I know how crazy January is going to be, and it already has been. Uh, but that's a good crazy. God is blessing us. And so uh, I pray that he's going to continue blessing your and my work with these podcasts, YouTube videos, and more people finding out about the book, especially if you bug NPH about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to nph.net, and they have a phone number there at the top. Uh, the guy to talk to if you don't talk to the person and you know they have a number of wonderful people who answer the phone for them can ask about resisting the dragon's beast and ask about the vdma catechism the person in particular would be mark busky b-u-s-k-e just keep <laughs> there yeah, totally don't be quiet. that's how we're going to end the end this episode don't be quiet about these things all right have a great day until we see you next week